out on the road Waiting for a new episode We've been thinking of you Just what you need Oh yeah, yeah Now that the show's underway I guess we can call it a day You're ready for And welcome back to another episode of the Bowfinger Minute Podcast. Each week, Movies by Minutes hosts like myself examine the 1999 Frank Oz-directed comedy, Bowfinger. One minute of screen time per episode. A little bit more familiar territory? Howdy, everyone. Pull up a chair, kick up your boots, take a sip on a nice, cold sarsaparilla. Sarsaparilla. What? Well, I would write it down, but I don't figure you could read it. Sony pop. I'm Robert Smith, and I'll be your host for this minute of the movie. You may know me from a little a little show I like to call Support Your Local Podcast, coming to you from Tombstone. Yes, that one. Today we are going to take a look at Bowfinger Minute 78. We begin with Steve Martin telling them to kill the lights, and we end with creeps with a camera watching a lady run upstairs. But before we get there... I want to take a moment and bring just a little bit of the Support Your Local Podcast flavor to the show. Uh, In my show, I like to take a a bit of a deep dive into one of the key members of the the movie, an actor, director, producer, one of the movers and shakers, if you will. I, as I said previously in other episodes, super excited to do this movie because there's actually some really big actors. Um, I'm not doing a bunch of character actors from from the 60s. It's good to be out of that. Uh, But uh, today, just want to take a moment and look at somebody in a segment that I like to call Remember the Name. That's about all I'm going to do the rest of my life is go around remembering your name. And welcome to Remember the Name, the segment of the show where we take a bit of a deeper dive into one of the cast or crew, uh, one of the movers or shakers. And uh, today, taking a look at one Mr. Robert Downey Jr. So first and foremost... He's Iron Man, okay? Let's let's just get that out of the way. We'll we'll get to that in a minute. But uh, most people that are younger than me probably don't realize that he's been kind of a big deal for a much longer time than just that. And it wasn't until hitting it big as Tony Stark, uh, and let's face it, he is Tony Stark, um, that he really began what would be considered a, a comeback of sorts. So uh, originally a member, kind of one of the auxiliary members of what we called the Brat Pack in the 80s, along with uh, people like Emilio Estevez, Anthony Michael Hall, Rob Lowe, Andrew McCarthy, Demi Moore, Judd Nelson, uh, definitely Molly Ringwald, Ali Sheedy, uh, a couple other lesser attached members, but he was definitely in that that group where... Uh, he had one of his first bigger roles, and where I would know him first from, uh, 1985 Weird Science uh, was in that movie. 
growing up in the 80s, uh, specifically for me, I had teenage sisters in the 80s. Um, so that would have been the first movie that I got exposure to them for. Great movie. Love it. As 80s as you can probably get out. So if you've not seen it before um, or haven't seen the TV show that I, I followed up and used to watch back in the day, uh, definitely worth a look. 1986, he was in Back to School. 88, Johnny Be Good. 91, Soap Dish. 92 is when he starts becoming a little bit more of a serious actor playing Charlie Chaplin in the movie Chaplin. Um, that's when he started getting award buzz for his actual acting ability. 94, you have Natural Born Killers, uh, the, the great uh, movie with uh, Woody Harrelson. Um, first mind trip kind of movie that I probably would have ever seen. Uh, 95, we got Richard III, 98, U.S. Marshals. 99, we are we are where we at right now uh, with uh, the movie Bowfinger and the, the little bit role that he has with us. Uh, 03, Gothica, uh, the Holly Berry psychological horror movie. Uh, 05, we have Kiss Kiss, Bang Bang, and Good Night, Good Luck. Um, two titles that, when said together, makes for a, an interesting story plot, uh, if, you, if you stop and think about it. Uh, 07, Zodiac. And then uh, this is uh, 08 going into the, the original Iron Man. Back in the, the 80s, early 90s, you have to understand that he had uh, some some issues. Uh, so he ran afoul of the law quite often, uh, and usually it was involving uh, drugs and alcohol, um, which made uh, for him to to kind of be canceled from certain projects. Uh, I know that he was in, I believe it was Ally McBeal, uh, that they had to get rid of him. And then most of the movies leading up uh, to his comeback, they, they would have writers in his contract that they would only pay him half his salary with the other half being earmarked for if he actually completed the project and didn't get in any type of trouble. So um, so when he comes into 08 for Iron Man, uh, keep in mind that this is, this is pre the Marvel boom. We had only had things like Blade and a, a failed, um, kind of failed uh, Hulk movie at this point. Uh, we have not reached the phenomenon that is Marvel Studios and the MCU, um, but it all kind of skyrocketed from this movie. Iron Man kind of th- started it all. And given his past with alcoholism and drug abuse and and the rise of fame and, and that type of stuff really led to him being able to a, encapsulate the character of Tony Stark. And when, when I say that he is Tony Stark, I don't mean that he's so ingrained that character into our psyche that no one else can play that character. I mean, literally, if you follow the trials and tribulations of the Tony Stark character in the comics... Robert Downey Jr. has lived most of that. So he literally was Tony Stark in, in doing these movies and and thankfully uh, launching the, the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, 08 is also when he did Tropic Thunder, the, uh, the Ben Stiller um, actors lost in an actual war zone movie. Uh, if you remember, if you haven't seen it, um, Robert Downey Jr. plays, I believe he's Australian, but he's an Australian method actor playing an African-American in, 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 in the movie. And that's a, a bit of the joke is, a, you know, the, a, during this time, people were so, I guess, fascinated or are in love with these method actors that would do anything for their craft. The, you know, the, the, the Christian Bales and the Daniel Day Lewis's and things like that, that it, it was meant as a joke of that an, an Australian actor in order to do 
awards bait would essentially go through skin pigmentation surgery just to portray a a black character in a, in a movie and the great thing about this is that he actually got nominated for an academy award for his role in a Ben Stiller silly comedy it just <laughs> like i i don't know if hollywood was so in on the joke that they loved it and nominated him or that they were so detached that they didn't realize that they are the joke and they nominate him. But uh, I, I mean, this is the year I, I, I'm 90% sure this is the year that Heath Ledger wins uh, for the Joker. So you have these, these great, you know, actors and, and doing their roles and not that Robert Downey Jr. did a bad job in this role, not in the slightest. It's hilarious. It's the fact, it's just the irony of the moment and seeing him sitting there for Best Supporting Actor and they have to announce Tropic Thunder and then show highlight clips from that movie. But whatever. Uh, 09 is when he kind of diverges in two different paths. So Iron Man is a hit. He's starting to become big as, a, as this blockbuster type character. So he gets put in Sherlock Holmes, the, uh, the, the, the Guy Ritchie film, and going that route of the action funny star. Um, but also that year, he also does The Soloist. So continuing to do his dramatic roles and his Oscar bait type roles. So uh, really starting to branch out as more of a serious actor, but at the same time is understanding that he's a proven commodity in regards to box office. Uh, goes on to do a, uh, a sequel to Sherlock Holmes, several other films throughout, um, but the, the other big ones I want to drop in there, you know, 2020, he tries to cash in on the the, the end of his uh, Iron Man fame and, and doing Doolittle didn't really succeed uh, as much. Um, and then doing research as of this recording, it looks like he is in the upcoming Oppenheimer uh, movie as well. But if you want to know what happened during the gaps between the, the Sherlock Holmes and uh, uh, the uh, Doolittle, uh, essentially just turn on Disney Plus and click through all of the, the Marvel movies. I mean, he was Iron Man through the entirety of all the Avengers, all the Infinity War uh, saga. Um, that was him for such a, a long period in his career. But uh, yeah, just wanted to touchstone on Robert Downey Jr. gush over him a little bit. He's my Iron Man. He is obviously one of my favorite characters in the MCU. So sad to see him go. And Let's be real, folks. Uh, you know, real men do cry, as we learned the Big Lebowski. Um, the death of Tony Stark. Spoilers for those that still haven't seen the the highest grossing movie of all time. Um, that still gets me. That got me hard in the theaters. I had already been spoiled to that fact on the internet because I didn't go five. You know, the first two screenings of, of the movie, so it was already all over the internet by the time I went there. The second day of release jerks um so even with that being spoiled and, and being able to prep for that uh that scene hits hard anybody that doesn't think that robert downey jr can act based on some of the things he does uh, i dare you to watch that movie even if you've not seen the thirty-seven thousand other movies in the mcu before that just watch that one and you will know the weight of that character and the sacrifice that he's making to the point that it will make you emotional even without that background. So, uh, yep, Robert Downey Jr., love, love, love him. Uh, definitely check out all his stuff. But this has, has always been Remember the Name. You tell him I remember his name. And we're back. We start our minute with Bowfinger telling them to hit the lights. 
and they are they're coming up the drive. So maybe they've kidnapped Kit to give him a surprise birthday party. Who knows? I mean, it is one way to potentially get him to just join the movie instead of jumping through hoops to get him. You know, it's it's easier to catch flies with honey. Who knows? And who doesn't love cake? We we see the car pull up and Daisy is running to get Kit out of the the other side. She in her her great whatever it is accent uh, tells him that the the tower in front of them is in fact the alien antenna that they have to stop or they will become like our our poor police officer um, uh, and his unfortunate gonads to to hearken back to what we talked about in our last episode about bad acting. I don't know if she's trying to bad act in quotes her her running or if that's just how heather graham the the person runs in real life or what exactly i i'm venturing to guess that with her other over exaggerated movements when her character is on camera that it's just her character overly dramatically running but uh it, it is funny to see every time we we see the camera just outside the window, and I wonder, and I'm not a film head, just full disclosure, I never went to school for making movies, though with enough internet searching, I'm sure you can find me on one or two somewhere, um, leave it at that. It's It's nighttime, and they're standing in a very dark room. In fact, he just told them to kill the lights. How bad is this shot going to look without any type of real lighting? I mean, earlier in the movie, we had the the gimmick of the the person holding the aluminum foil sign close to to uh, the Eddie Murphy character to get proper lighting, and that was during broad daylight. So, is Bowfinger just desperately trying to get whatever he can at this point? And, and 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 be darned with the the quality I, I I'm not entirely sure if you know please hit us up on social media uh, hit us up in the comments let let us know what exactly this shot would look like in in real life uh, Bowfinger and the crew set back up to the uh, the bank of video monitors at the security desk and they're trying to capture kit running around the building and I have to laugh whenever I see this because you have the sound guy holding a microphone and it looks like he's trying to hold it up to the bank of monitors to capture sound, I guess. Um, that's not really how security monitors work, just so you know. Uh, I, I'm sure there is top of the line stuff out there that you can pull audio with, but I, I'm pulling from my old Walmart loss prevention days, uh, just being the, the, the deadbeat that stops shoplifters. I, I can tell you that I would have killed to be able to hear whatever was going on in the screen in, in some instances and some of the things that I've, I've seen, uh, hit me up sometime. I can, I can tell you some great stories, but, uh, no, there, there wouldn't be any audio to capture. So I, I have to venture to guess that this was either an ad lib or something done deliberately, but done with the intent of eliciting a, a, a laugh from the audience of, of him just kind of holding the microphone up to this, this, uh, TV monitor. Um, Speaking of, props again to Daisy for keeping up the act. 
uh, even though she has to know that they're not capturing any of this dialogue. For as seasoned an actress that Carol may be, she couldn't help but approach Kit about their acting together. Daisy, however, she's she's the true pro, though, you know, despite her, her lack of experience or so she says. Uh, she's not breaking character for someone who, remember, up to this point, isn't in on the scheme. So as far as she knows, she's just staying in character because that's what Kit demands. So props to her for the dedication. Kit and Daisy go through the observatory theater room where it appears the crowd is probably watching some sort of like a, I don't know, like a Starfield display show. Uh, I've seen something similar back home at at the Neil Armstrong Museum. Uh, Props to to Wapakoneta. Shout shout out to Wapak. Um, And and I've been on a couple field trips to observatories and such. So basically, if you've you've never been, they, they bring you into this domed room and you're sitting in a theater seat and you're looking, you're tilted back to look up at the ceiling, essentially. And they tell you to close your eyes while they're, they, they completely kill the lights. Shout out again to the, to the beginning of the movie or beginning of the minute. And then there's this display of the galaxy and certain constellations or what a laser show or there's something to look at that's, that's projected up onto the, the dome. Um, I, I did notice here that Daisy tells Kit that the crowd are all aliens and that they're they're worshiping their false gods. And she's not Russian or German when she says it, accent-wise. Um, the accent of wherever it's from is completely gone. So conspiracy theorist in me, which, hi Jay and Justin from Cryptids of the Corn, miss you guys. Is this dropping the fake and bringing it to reality on purpose? Is this breaking the fourth wall, essentially? Uh, you know, what's Frank Oz trying to say in this moment? Is, is the crowd mindlessly looking at a screen supposed to be us? Are, are we worshiping these fake gods of Hollywood celebrities? This is way too big of a concept for me to put into words, but hopefully someone out there is already writing a thesis paper on it if they haven't already. If you have, hey, hit us up. Let us know. I'd, I'd like to know if if I'm the only one that kind of caught that because I don't usually catch those deep level type things. So maybe I'm not reading, you know, maybe I'm just reading in too much. We, we see the crew shooting the security monitor with their camera. And I have to laugh at this. This, this poor man's way of recording something it, it takes me back to growing up in the 80s. We, we didn't have media on demand like we do now. So if you wanted a copy of a song and you didn't have the cash to pay for a cassette, that's right, not even CDs yet, a cassette. Um, and, and for, okay, let's, let's take a break. For those of you that are too young to know what I'm talking about, before we could just turn on our phone and music would be there, uh, we had physical media that these things were on. And uh, before the, the digital age, we had these these discs called CDs that had music on them. And before that, we had these things of, of basically like film that, that were little cassettes that you had music on that you had to listen to. So uh, aging myself, I know, but if you're watching this and it's a 1999 movie, realistically, you know what a cassette is, but just for, just for you future generations listening. But anyways, you had to wait for it to play on the radio 
and record it. Um, much to the chagrin of DJs hopping in in the middle of a song or not catching it on the first couple notes so it starts too late. But that's the best that we could do. And fun little story, I, I had to, I, I immediately thought of this when I, when I saw the camera taking a shot. Uh, someone that I grew up with who for, um, to prevent their own embarrassment, I will neither confirm nor deny that they may be my sibling, uh, once did something like this on a, on a whole new level. So flashback, you're talking late-ish 80s. Millie Vanilli is one of the hottest groups at the time. They've, they've not yet been exposed to the, the lip-syncing scandal. And Millie Vanilli was appearing as guest stars on a TV show, and I just happen to remember that it was Sister Kate, for, for those of you that must know. Shout out to the Sister Kate fans. Where, where's the podcast that goes over that one episode at a time? Um, and just to get a picture of them, uh, Millie Vanilli, this person, who will remain nameless, took their Polaroid camera, which, uh, God, do I have to explain Polaroid cameras now too? But, but took their Polaroid camera and took a picture of the TV screen that had Millie Vanilli on it. And I tell you folks, that is the the level of commitment that Bowfinger has to getting his movie completed. And I can respect him for it on a very personal level. I'll, I'll just say that. We, we close our minute with them moving the camera over to the other screen as Kit and Daisy make it into the stairwell. And this is where we, we hear the accent magically returning. So you have to ask, will Bowfinger have to get a release for using the security footage? Will Daisy go Kevin Costner and just stop doing the accent? Why aren't they taping what's going on with the secretary and janitor on Monitor 5? All this and more when we come back for Minute 79. And if you like what you hear, folks, please take a moment, check out the little show that I do. Uh, it's called Support Your Local Podcast, and it is available on all your favorite podcasting platforms. Uh, if you don't like what you hear, it's cool, I understand. Uh, but you may ask, where can you find the rest of the Bowfinger podcast? Well, hopefully by now you've kind of got it figured out, you're listening to it. But if not, definitely check them out. Uh, they are the Bowfinger Minute Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or at the main website, bowfingerminute.com. Uh, if you have the time, and as always, we're talking seconds, it's completely free, but seconds out of your day, uh, then please, please, please take that moment to like, subscribe, and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Uh, please make sure to check us out on social media as well. Uh, we are available at Welcome to Mindhead, the Bowfinger Minute Listener Center on Facebook. And if you check us out on Twitter, it is at Bowfinger Minute. Uh, until next time, folks, much love. I appreciate your time. Uh, but in the meantime, keep it together. Keep it together. Keep it together. Keep it together, children. I hope that we'll see you again Cause there's always One more show Cause there's always